1: Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest-established air conditioning company. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting johnson'sairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon, who is director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Our U.S. Congressman Byron Donalds will be with us, as well as Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is July the 9th, and on this day in 1850, after only 16 months in office, President Zachary Taylor died after a brief illness. The exact cause of the death is still in dispute. On a scorching 4th of July in Washington, D.C., Taylor attended festivities at the newly dedicated grounds upon which the Washington Monument would be erected. According to several sources, he gulped down a large quantity of cherries and iced milk and then returned to the White House, where he quenched his thirst with several glasses of water. Outbreaks of cholera, a deadly disease caused by bacteria, occurred frequently during the summer months in hot, humid Washington, D.C. in the 1800s. When sewage systems were primitive at best, the bacteria was mostly likely to present... In, present in the water in, uh, or iced milk that Taylor drank, although other sources have claimed that he died of gastroenteritis uh, caused by highly acidic cherries combined with fresh milk, other suspected uh, food poisoning or typhoid fever. It appears no one suggested foul play, even though Taylor, a Mexican war hero, post secession and vowed to personally deal, lead a military attack against any state that threatened to secede from the Union. He died on the evening of July the 9th after four days of suffering from symptoms that included severe cramping, diarrhea, nausea, and dehydration. His personal physicians concluded that he had succumbed to cholera morbus, a bacterial infection of the small intestine. His vice president, Millard Fillmore, was sworn in as the new president the next day. Cherries and iced milk. Hmm. Anyhow, I thought this was interesting because of the primitive nature we sometimes take for granted the wonderful, well, for example, sewage systems that we have that really keep us in many ways healthy. The major U.S. stock indexes took a beating yesterday on concerns of the global economic comeback from COVID-19. The losses came as Japan declared a state of emergency in Tokyo for the upcoming Olympics and as countries deal with a rebound in cases of COVID due to new variants. <clears> that out uh, dropped less than a point, as did the other indexes. The Labor Department's latest job numbers came in disappointing. Uh, was three hundred seventy-three thousand new uh, unexpectedly higher. Three hundred seventy-three thousand jobless claims uh, expected was three hundred fifty thousand. Uh, the yield year- yields on Treasury dipped as, as much lower than, than than expected, which would indicate number one. That inflation is not is going to be temporary. That would be great. Uh, also, people are just uh, they're at a premium right now because people are skittish about the market. The uh, Summer Olympics has already been delayed a year. Will ban spectators, according to Reuters. This follows the state of emergency declared uh, by Tokyo, by Japan, to curb a wave of new COVID infections. You uh, know. Meanwhile, the global COVID death toll continued to advance, exceeding four million on late Wednesday. Uh, the volatility index is up. Now, the other part of this is that uh, both uh, the uh, Nasdaq and uh, the uh, S&P 500 closed at record highs on a Wednesday, so it may be just taking a, b- a breather. We'll see. Futures are up right now. So, Michael Avenatti, the sleazy porn lawyer. Who shot? The, who shot to fame with more than a little help from the pals at CNN? Man, he was he was touted as the next president of the United States after representing Stormy Daniels, the former porn star who claimed to have had a brief affair with the president. Trump had been sentenced to 30. Uh, president Trump uh, Avenatti has been sentenced to 30 months in prison after being convicted of charges of extortion. He got much less time than I thought. The Sentencing uh, of the result of a scheme to try and exhort Nike after he uncovered quote-unquote evidence that the athletic apparel giant was inappropriately paying bribes to high school coaches and players, part of the ruthless relationship battle to uh, strike sponsorship deals with the next generation of athletes. The corporate lawyers that Avenatti tried to extort immediately contacted the FBI who asked them to wear a wire. At the second meeting where Avenatti was caught on tape demanding that Nike essentially pay him $25 bucks in consulting fees and contracts and other perks or risk him going public with the damaging information, uh, prosecutors collected plenty of evidence on Avenatti and even found Avenatti screwed over <laughs> the whistleblower coach who came, first came to him with the information on Nike. According to the reports who were in the courtroom Avenatti's sentencing, the disgraced lawyer wept. He cried. As he uh, read a statement to the court, that cried some more after the sentence was handed down. Federal Judge uh, Paul uh, Garheffi of the uh, Southern District of New York, the same judge who presided over Avenatti's early 2020 trial, sentenced the outspoken uh, lawyer to 30 months, two and a half years, After handing down the sentence, he said, Mr. Avenatti's conduct was outrageous. He hijacked his clients' claims, and he was used those claims to further his own agenda, which was to extort millions of dollars from Nike to enrich himself. Uh, He added, Mr. Avenatti has become drunk on the power of his platform and on what he perceived to be the power of his platform to be. He has become someone who operated as if the law and the rules applied to everyone else but didn't apply to him. That's good news. I I don't know if you recall but he was actually promoted as a hero on CNN and some of these other liberal outlets news outlets and uh he's a he, he's a crook unbelievable 30 months I thought he might get 10 years Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra on Thursday said it's absolutely the government's business to know which Americans are not vaccinated the Biden administration is using the Delta variant to scare Americans into getting vaccinated. Biden on Tuesday said he will send goons door-to-door to harass unvaccinated Americans. Uh, CNN host uh, Brianna Kyler asked Basara about the door-to-door effort to bully and harass Americans into taking experimental vaccines. I wonder if you can get an answer uh, that criticism. is It's none of the government's business knowing who or who hasn't been vaccinated. What do you say? She asked. Well, he said the federal government has to had to spend millions, trillions of dollars to try and keep Americans alive during this pandemic, so it's absolutely the government's business, Becerra said. It's the taxpayer's business that if we have to continue to spend money to try and keep people from con- contracting COVID and helping reopen the co- economy, and so it's our business to try and make sure Americans can prosper, Americans can freely associate, and knocking on a door that has never has never been against the law. Well, I'll tell you that arrogant attitude on his part. The government is the people. (laughs) The government, we pay taxes to the government. And uh, Pesera said uh, what he really meant was the government owns the American people now after handing out stimulus checks and loans during the forced shutdown. GOP uh, Representative Marley uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she's kind of the firebrand from uh, Georgia, is comparing the Biden administration's door-to-door effort to get more people vaccinated for COVID-19 to the Nazi-era brown shirts and says federal government cannot force people to participate in a human experiment. Well, she, you know, she's absolutely right. Nuremberg codes stipulate and a Nuremberg code, of course, created after the Nazis' human experimentation and what they are doing do in Nazi concentration camps. The code stipulates that consent must be voluntary. Telling children they can't go to school, firing folks, or preventing their travel is not voluntary consent. Threatening someone's livelihood unless they take an experimental vaccine is not voluntary consent. Sorry, Mr. Becerra. Well, nearly 6 months into the president of Joe Biden's administration, Wall Street remains divided over the likelihood and impact of one of the Democrats' key campaign promises, higher taxes. That's right, that's a campaign promise, higher taxes. With the president and his cabinet may have made progress in persuading foreign partners to back a global minimum corporate tax. The Biden team does not appear any closer to passing the types of sweeping tax reform he promised in the 2020 campaign. And that is very good news. Keep in mind, these corporate taxes, it's really just a tax on the consumer. Because whatever taxes they pay, they pay. Uh, pass those costs on, corporations do, on to consumers in the form of higher prices. So this is really a a regressive tax. It's a tax on the uh, blue-collar, on the uh, uh, lesser compensated uh, individuals. Among the many components of the Biden tax plan are an increase to the domestic corporate tax rate of 28% from 21%. The top individual income tax rate to 39.6% from 37%. They are... White House also wants to raise the capital gains tax rate on those making more than a million dollars a year from its current 20 to 39.6 percent. But with GOP resolute against tax increases with a handful of economists concerned about raising taxes now could risk the economic recovery, some say the outlook of administration's tax plans have grown murkier in recent months. That's music to our ears. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit Johnson'sAirConditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Coming up, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: to the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. I uh, post my show uh, every day on uh, Choice Social. You can find out more by visiting ChoiceSocial.us. That's the website, Choice Social. Dot U.S. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with our uh, U.S. Congressman Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us William Yatman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government.
1: Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. William, for the last year and a half. <laughs> we've been talking about the infrastructure saga. So any new developments? No, no new developments.
3: really proceeding on, on three tracks. Um, we've got the $700 billion in traditional infrastructure spending that was in the works, no matter what. Um, we've got the $600 billion in new spending. That was that bipartisan deal between the White House and the so-called g twenty one group of senators, and then we've got the the Democrat only human infrastructure or human infrastructure and climate infrastructure package. Mm. Um, and then that proceeds with this reconciliation process that allows the majority uh, to avoid the filibuster. Um, and that could be anywhere from two trillion to six trillion dollars. situation remains very fluid. Uh, I'll note one positive development is that a, a game of chicken if you will has broken out between House Progressives and House centri- uh, Centrists um, in essence uh, uh the blue dog democrats are saying they won't support anything but the bipartisan deal that includes the 600 billion dollars in new spending where uh whereas the progressives are saying they won't support anything but the 6 trillion dollars um, worth of spending that, that Senator Sanders has on the table. So I've got my fingers crossed that, that this conflict ultimately blows up any of the new spending because ultimately, um, I side with Senator Ron Johnson on this one, which is we've already got seven hundred billion dollars worth of infrastructure spending in the works. We just spent five point five trillion dollars in COVID stimulus. Um, why do we need any new spending whatsoever? So uh, I'm sympathetic to that,
1: camp, As I am as well. It, it seems to me that, uh, for example, the taxes that he's promoting, and I'm talking about uh, Biden, uh, a, a lot of this looks like it's just kind of uh, caught in, uh, in uh, disagreement in, on the House and the Senate. I, I'm not sure that he's going to be able to pass anything. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, uh, to be sure, um, that is the ideal outcome, and at this point it does both sides perhaps posturing, um, but both sides appear unwilling to budge and the Democrats have they got the narrowest of majorities in the House and the Senate. So they really need to keep everyone on board. Um and, and at this point, I'm I'm although I acknowledge that the situation is very fluid, I am a bit cautiously optimistic that yeah. uh this disagreement um will sink any new spending.
1: Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um uh, <laughs> Me too. So, uh, hey, a big case. The Supreme Court uh, upheld uh, Arizona's voting laws. Uh, I want to get your comments and thoughts on that. It, to me, it looks like a pretty good precedent for other challenges to uh, the uh, state voting laws and, and a, a good defense for the uh, uh, federal plan that the, the Biden has been pushing.
3: Really. Yes. And it's, so I'll know that you were speaking about uh, the Supreme Court's decision uh, last week in Branovich and in, in which it upheld um, two uh, voting integrity policies in Arizona. So one was this out-of-precinct policy, um, uh, and another was a prohibition on ballot harvesting. Um this strikes me as common sense. I mean, you know, about the majority of states uh, have this out-of-precinct policy, and a uh, 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 robust majority of states already have this prohibition on uh, ballot harvesting. I'll note here, and this was noted by uh, Justice Alito in his majority opinion, but in Arizona, voters may vote by mail or in person for nearly a month before Election Day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, uh, that's... That seems pretty reasonable. <laughs> um, so I, I've read a lot of commentary about how this case um, reflects the demise of American democracy. And to be frank, I, I don't see it, and I don't understand why the vote in the Supreme Court was six to three. I don't understand why it wasn't nine to zero.
1: Yeah, kind of interesting to see that the Democrats is now saying, "Well, you know, we've been for voter ID all along." <laughs> <This is> <laughs> represent-
3: <laughs> Kla- yeah. History certainly you know, <laughs> uh, belies that.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I want to get. I, I was. I don't know if you had a chance to watch Trump's uh, speech and the uh, uh, announcement about the class action lawsuit of being filed against the uh, big tech companies. I want to get your background and thoughts.
3: Well, so it, it's an interesting suit, this uh, uh, class action. It's uh, in essence, they're saying that the facebooks and the twitters of the world are are state actors. Um, because they perform a public function in, in uh, the maintaining this virtual public space for discourse. Um, it, it, I think it's an interesting suit, um, and I do have, I find it problematic. I mean, I'm not comfortable, and I'm echoing Senator Bernie Sanders here um, with, with uh, these these entities banning a former president, I mean, to me that just is weird. Um, i'm I'm not on Facebook, so I guess I'm not but don't really know what I'm talking about when I speak of, of that medium right there. But, um, but nevertheless, this is an uphill climb. I mean they're there uh, the First Amendment only applies to government. Facebook and Twitter, you know they're, they're they're publicly traded companies, so they aren't generally viewed as a government entity. This lawsuit uh, is making the argument that, in practice, they are, in essence, an extension of the state. It's an interesting case, mm-hmm. um, but I think its odds are, are frankly, pretty low.
1: I, I would, uh, I may, perhaps I'm coming for, from uh, my desire, I certainly hope that the uh, Trump triumphs. Actually, my wife was banned from uh, Twitter. <laughs> can, so she signed up for the class-action lawsuit while he was making the announcement. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so uh, perhaps a little bit more familiar with the circumstance, but he certainly, I mean, the the big tech, everything from the elections to, you know, for example, COVID-19, denying people the the right to say, for example, that it's a trial, that uh, people should be careful taking the vaccine, that uh, uh, just uh, almost anything that did go along with the uh, chapter and verse of the government uh, position on, uh, for example, COVID or CDC and how they're handling these things. Uh, the, the Facebook, uh, Twitter, they would uh, actually censor them, which would, would not allow, allow them to, their voices to be heard. So I think, you know, there's a pretty good case that they are in total alignment with the federal government and with uh, the uh, Biden administration.
3: I mean, that is certainly the case that's being made by Trump. I'll note this: uh, when when it comes to speech, I'm in the John Stewart Mill camp. I mean, I I think the more, the merrier. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's certainly not anything I condone what these companies are doing. Um, That said, you know, they do strike me as private companies, um, and it it is going to be an uphill climb to press this First Amendment charge against. Well,
1: to, to be fair, they certainly can make their case. They are private countries, companies. Uh, but uh, they're also government actors. So it should be interesting to see how this thing is uh, resolved. It's going to take years, I'm quite quite certain, it <laughs> to indeed. wave its way through the uh, court and judicial process. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: or of The Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. So you just heard the commercial, building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples and bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. I hope you visit the website, get tickets, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. dot Coming up, we're going to be visiting with our U.S. Congressman Byron Byron Donalds. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, a lot going on with, uh, I guess, variants on COVID-19, certainly the Delta. And I think I've heard about a a Lambda variant now. Uh, I guess the thing that's on my mind right now is, though, the President is making an announcement that he's going to go door-to-door... To get people to vaccinated for with uh, the, the uh, vaccine for COVID nineteen, any thoughts?
4: Well, the Delta variant, as you mentioned, is uh, is more transmissible than the original and uh, virus of previous variants. Fortunately, the vaccine still appear to be working against it, preventing serious infections, preventing hospitalizations at rates of eighty eight or ninety four percent. We don't know as much about the Lambda variant. It's taking hold in South America. Scientists are monitoring that situation. But what's got a lot of people in the United States concerned is what President Biden and his press secretary have said about how the federal government is going to send people door to door, encouraging uh, the unvaccinated to get vaccinated, armed with, personal health information, like whether you have received a vaccine or not, or, or, or if, just if, if your community has a low vaccination rate, the government's going to go door-to-door doing this. And that cr- strikes a lot of people as crossing a very important line that the government should not cross. Encouraging people to get vac- vaccinated through uh, through public information campaigns is one thing. Having the government come to your house and encourage you to put a medicine in your body or in your children's bodies or in your parents, uh, that strikes a lot of people as uh, a, a, a road too far. And uh, and I think rightly so, because uh, I don't think we're at the point where that is going to be more cost effective at, at saving lives yeah. than uh, just uh, public information campaigns and continued uh, you know, traditional public health outreach.
1: Well, plus the, the, this magic seventy percent that these uh, had missed the mark, uh, and didn't, it did make the target on July the fourth. So uh, basically, the the point of view that I'm that I'm hearing or from this administration is he wants everybody vaccinated, anybody over the age of twelve, which I think violates a lot of common sense in in terms of young people's uh, ability or to contract the disease and, and, and what uh, if they might be hospitalized or die, they, they probably, they certainly won't. It's much less than for uh, older people. So it just makes me wonder about the, the common sense of the whole policy.
4: Well, the variants we mentioned earlier do bear on this conversation about uh, encouraging vaccines and what's the ideal vaccination rate and when do we return immunity. And it bears on that question because every day, that the virus is out there spreading uh, is another day the virus is mutating and causing new variants uh, or creating new variants that could evade the vaccines that we have right now. And so while what President Biden is trying to do by you know encouraging people to get vaccinated is, I, I think his, 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 uh, his heart is in the right place uh, I don't think his head is uh, uh, quite in the right place if he wa- wants to send uh, government uh, employees to everyone's house and encourage vaccination that way. But we are in a race, and the faster people get vaccinated and shut off the uh, avenues of transmission, the fewer uh, replications of these these viruses we will have and the fewer variants there will be. So uh, the question, I think, is what is the most effective way to do that? And I don't think it's the government going door to door telling people you need to get
1: vaccinated. Yeah, I, I could uh, make the case that actually uh, there's more risk for some people to get vaccinated uh, than to not get vaccinated, uh, depending on their age and their the, you know healthy and, and uh, their uh, immune system.
4: And that's, that, that can be the case. Yeah. So the approach that the government should be taking is laying out the data uh, for uh, everyone who wants to sift through it, but having public health in- information campaigns that are based on the data and that make recommendations that let people know what are all of the benefits of vaccinating yourself, your children, your parents, what are all the risks, mm-hmm. and if the government lays those out, the uh, the The risks and benefits out for people in a way that is easily comprehensible, then people can make that decision for themselves, and I think we will get higher vaccination rates, yes. because it does appear that the 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 benefits of the vaccine for most people outweigh the cost yeah uh, but uh, and I think that will be a lower cost way and a more respectful way of reaching the sort of uh, level of herd immunity that we need to to reduce the number of variants and reduce morbidity and mortality from this pandemic.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Michael. Uh, although, I must admit, I personally have lost confidence in the, the CDC and other uh, voices for public health. Uh, you know, Dr. Fauci, and his flip-flop fa- Fauci, some of the things that he said about masks, six feet of distancing, and all these things, back and forth, we're two masks, we're three masks, don't need a mask. <laughs> it's It's been all over the place. So, Quite frankly, I think I'm not alone. A lot of people, have the, their confidence in public health officials has been eroded.
4: Well, I think the mistake is to have confidence in public health officials in the first place. Uh, <laughs> <we> <laughs> watching, That's great. I like that. We should be watching them like hawks, just like we watch other areas of government, uh, yeah. like like a hawk. But <clears throat> And this is important. Those other areas of government, I think, are helping to erode confidence in or so mistrust of government even even when it is acting in a trustworthy way i mean, trying to encourage people to get vaccinated right now is i i think a legitimate function of government and if they're doing it responsibly i think that's a good thing and 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 i hope that it is persuasive but think about all the ways that government sows distrust in itself because people want the government to decide what what your child learns in school. The government want, People want the government to decide whether you buy health insurance, what kind of health insurance you buy. Yep. They want you, the government to decide that you will have to buy uh, m- medical products like contraception that you find immoral. When we give the government the power to make more and more of these decisions for us, we are... Uh, telling, uh, a lot of people notice that the government is violating their preferences, their deeply held religious and moral conviction, yep. and they come not to trust the government, not even when the government is saying things that are correct and that are socially beneficial. Yep. And so when we want, if we want to know why do so few people trust the, the, the CDC and other public health officials, it's because the government spends most of its time, time uh, sowing distrust uh, and telling the people that it doesn't respect them to make their own choices. So w- why would we uh, uh, think that uh, the government is doing that now, or is is leveling with us and letting us make uh, our own informed choices?
1: You know what? That that is perfect. Matter. Perfectly said, Michael. I just really appreciate that point of view. I, I saw a little cartoon of a one mouse talking to another. Have you gotten vaccinated vaccinated yet? And the, and the other mouse re, mouse replies, "No, I'm waiting for the results from the human trials." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that it is an experimental drug, and we don't know fully what the outcomes might uh, truly be from this. So, uh, stay tuned. It's so interesting. Michael Cannon, again, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit cato.org, C A T O.org. Michael, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Anytime, Bob. Take thank care. you.
1: All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Byron Donalds, our uh, U.S. representative. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
2: Network.
0: Bob
1: Hartman, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Uh, expecting uh, Byron Donalds to be with us today, but uh, didn't get the call from his assistant. So uh, we've got lots to talk about. I wanted just uh, we talked earlier about uh, Biden's uh, policy, tax policies. And uh, how much he wants to raise taxes. One of the most egregious forms of raising taxes is, of course, the death tax. We talked about that yesterday, and uh, which would be really uh, terrible in terms of uh, people who own farms and whose uh, major holding is their personal business uh, could put them out of business, at least for the next generation. Biden said, my tax policy is based on a simple proposition, which is to stop rewarding wealth and start rewarding work a little bit. Biden said on May 22nd, 2020, taxes are going to build back a better economy, boost it, create a middle class and create jobs, paycheck protection program, health care, the confidence to come back. He actually said that. So, you know, just two different points of view. uh, Of course, the Democrats believe in big government. Uh, Government can solve all of our problems. We just need to make sure that it's properly funded, and we can do that by taxing the rich. And, uh, of course, anybody, as you realize, you realize that uh, they tax everybody. And so uh, it's a real problem. And, uh, you know, hopefully, common sense will prevail in the next election, and we'll get some protection against uh, some of the things that could be happening in terms of higher taxes and bigger government. A new poll showed that half of registered voters have little faith in President Joe Biden's ability to reduce crime. Uh, 50% said they are not confident in Biden's ability to address homicides, including 20% who are somewhat not confident and 30% who are not at all confident, the poll suggests. Another 30% of Americans also sometimes feel that unsafe in public uh, as crime rages in American cities, according to a, a poll. Shootings and homicides, by the way, the poll was concluded on May the 26th. Shootings and homicides have skyrocketed in many American cities over the last year, with 20, 2021 so far showing no signs of being better than 2020. And while many have blamed soft enforcement against rioters in an effort to defund the police for the surge, Biden has pinned the blame on the pandemic and launched a renewed effort for gun control. Unbelievable. But polls continue to show Biden's positions on crime are not popular with the electorate. For instance, Biden spoke about the pandemic in his July 4th speech and will do so again on uh, uh, ignoring recent numbers from The Washington Post, which suggest only 38% of Americans approve of Biden's handling of crime, while 48% disapprove. Post also revealed Saturday on 33% of Americans say they approve of how he is handling illegal immigration on the southern border. Among Democrats, only 63% approve of his handling of immigration. So even the Democrats, while a majority approve, that's a a low number for Democrats to be supporting Biden's policies. Biden's drooping poll numbers in categories that impact American workers Uh, communities perhaps reflect the Democrats' party's rhetoric on the defending police across the nation. Meanwhile, other members of the party, such as AOC, has been dismissing concerns about violent crime as hysteria. You may be aware that Psaki suggested that it's the uh, Republicans who are soft on crime. Even the Washington Post gave uh, Psaki three Pinocchios for that one. Americans have now become increasingly worried about rising crime. Washington Post ABC poll uh, shows finding that 59% of respondents now feel that crime is an extremely or very serious problem in the country, a four-year high for the poll. The most recent uh, poll surveyed uh, 941 registered voters at a margin of error of about 3%. So pretty reliable uh, polling. I watched a Tucker Carlson's show yesterday on uh, of gun... Gun control and violence in America was so interesting. And one of the things he po- pointed out is that in New Orleans, the police chief uh, actually went through the communities and, and started confiscating guns. Of course, it's totally against the law, but they did it. And uh, many people testified on the show. They had film clips of, of folks who had their guns taken by this house-to-house search. They actually went and knocked down doors if they had to in order to get pick up and get guns. And uh, actually, I saw a, a, a woman thrown to the floor when she had a gun in her hand by the police. So uh, it's happened in the past; it could happen again. There's 450 million firearms in the United States owned by about 100 million folks. So uh, it would be a tough, uh, heavy lift for the Democrats to try and confiscate guns. But whenever we talk about crime, it's always about gun control. Uh, actually. The first responder in any crime is the victim. If the victim can't defend him or herself, then the victim is going to be, uh, uh, have to deal with the crime. And the police are there, or the sheriff's office, to uh, find the person who perpetrated the crime. But they're not going to be able to stop it. So people need to think about protecting themselves, especially during this time of high crime. Well, despite the Chinese Communist Party touting itself as the savior of the people, hundreds of millions of Chinese in the country and around the world have already quit the party and its affiliated groups, records from overseas human rights groups show. On July the 1st, in a speech celebrating the CCP's 100th birthday, Chinese leader Xi Jinping claimed that the party was chosen by history and people and declared the two inseparable. Xi spoke in an orchestrated crowd of 70,000 at Beijing's Tiananmen Square, handpicked for the occasion, who raised red flags and clapped to cheer him in display of party loyalty. Well, under the party's type censorship uh, system, there are limited means to gauge the broader sentiment of the Chinese public, who risk jail time for posting a wrong comment online that runs afoul of the ruling regime. But data from Global Service for quitting the CCP, a New York-based advocacy group known for colloquially as a, uh, the uh, Tui Dang Center, suggests that faith in the party seems to be receding. So in other words, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has problems internally. The website of the organization, which began coordinating the grassroots efforts in 2004 for people who cut ties with the three main CCP-affiliated organizations, the Chinese Communist Party, the Communist Youth League, and Youth Pioneers Organizations, show that nearly 380 million Chinese have done so and renounced the oath they once made to devote themselves to communism. The number currently stands at 380 million 33,002 as of July the 6th, marking an increase of roughly 25 million compared to October last year. Fearing the regime's reprisal, many people adopt a pseudonym when publishing their withdrawal statements. Hmm. China has 95.1 million CCP members as of June, according to official data. This figure does not include those who have the Communist Youth League and Youth Pioneers. In 2004, the Epoch Times terrific publication, by the way, published the editorial series Nine Commentaries on the Chinese Communist Party, detailing the party's history and inner workings since its inception. From there, the Tui Dang movement was uh, born with people in China printing copies of the series and passing them out to each other. <clears throat> the New York-based Tui Dang Center, <clears throat> which has more than 100 branches worldwide, has dubbed July 1st the Tui Dang Dei, or the withholding, withdrawing from the party day. So that's such an interesting. So the Chinese Communist Party again. What is it? 1.3 billion people, and uh, there's uh, a couple about a million of those folks are associated with communist Chinese Party, but that number is going down. And uh, again, they are uh, dictators and absolutely ruthless in how they treat the communist Chinese people. So are the Chinese people? They aren't communist. Uh, the Chinese people aren't necessarily communist, but. And neither is the party, quite frankly, that, but they never, they, they uh, keep that handle. So it uh, will be interesting to see how this plays out. But I wanted to, to make this clear that actually there are internal problems in China, real problems. And uh, one of the things they have to be concerned about is being able to maintain power. And they do that by uh, shuddering in fear. And uh, I'm not sure that's going to work forever. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dave Bego. He is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a story of the travails of fighting with union bosses over the course of two and a half years as he was, uh, they wanted him to sign a neutrality agreement which would allow uh, their party bosses to go up and sign up his employees one at a time at their homes, wherever they were, and uh, once they got to 50%, they'd be unionized. Dave said, nope, if you're going to unionize our group, uh, executive management services, you're going to have to do it uh, with a secret ballot, and uh, they would, would do that, and which I think speaks volumes about how much confidence they have in what they offer their uh, the employees. So uh, he uh, wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to visit with Dave That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you check out the website, vfga.org. We have with us Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. As I mentioned before the break, Dave wrote about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years and their dirty tricks against his customers, against his employees, against him, against uh, you name it. And you can't make the stuff up. you got to read the book. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us.
5: Thanks, Bob. And uh, what you just said is all true, and people should realize my book should be a national bestseller, but it's not because the unions control the media, and the media won't talk about my book at all.
1: Well, uh, I mean, it's real stuff that happened, and using the clergy, we're, I think, I mean, you can't, just can't make the stuff up. Anyhow, I just really appreciate and admire you for, for uh, withstanding the assault by the, and all their dirty tricks over the course of two and a half years, and they finally just slunk off in the night like rats on a sinking ship, and uh, you prevailed, so congratulations.
5: Well, thank you, and uh, you know, the people here in the United States need to wake up and understand what's going on in the White House, and um, Major General uh, Higginbotham wrote an article, and he says, that if the American voters read the background information on Kamala Harris, they would never support her election as Vice President of the United States. Joe Biden is suffering from early onset of dementia and will continue to decline in cere- <clears throat> cerebral awareness. He will never be able to fill out a four-year term of office. Since Biden was ele- elected, the Socialists, marxists, and Communists who control Kamala Harris are planning to enact provisions of the 25th Amendment, Amendment. In order to remove Joe Biden from office so Harris can become the first communist president of the United States. And, um, you know, um, he, said, he goes on, he says American voters must alert their fellow Americans that Kamala Harris is a very serious national security threat to the very survival of the U.S. Constitutional Republic. She has been a fellow traveler of Marxist, communist, um, Maoist, socialist, progressives. And Chinese Communists over for over 35 years.
1: Wow, I did not know that. I mean, she's a very unlikable person, and I know that she did a lousy job as Attorney General in uh, California. I mean, one of the things she did. You know that there there was a case that was just handed to her by the previous Attorney General, uh, that uh, the case against uh, the uh, clergy and the Catholic Church uh, for the uh, crimes against children, and uh, she wouldn't address it. She would, she just dropped the case.
5: Yeah, well, what uh, Major Higginbotham, Major General Higginbotham says uh, tells you why. Because uh, she, uh, as, as I've mentioned on your show before, they want to turn, the left ones turn this country into a socialist communist country without God in it. And uh, that's, that's what their direction is.
1: Yeah, it's uh and everything that uh, everything that you've said on this show for many, I guess I have been on the show a couple of years, haven't you, I don't, I've forgotten now how long it's been, but several years. It's been,
5: it's been longer than that, Bob. <laughs> yeah,
1: but the point being is that uh, everything that you've predicted is absolutely coming true, and uh, I, you know, we really need to stand up now. We all have to to uh, put our shoulder to the wheel and uh, get <laughs> get the right people in office. Quite frankly,
5: well, that's yeah, we do, and uh, our, um uh, Republicans, conservatives, uh, they need to stand up and have a backbone and uh, go after this. And uh, in this 22 election coming up, we need to take over the House and the Senate and, and then get the presidency back in 24. And uh, the American people need to stand up and uh, understand what's going on and, uh, and fight back and not give, give in to what uh, the left is trying to do right now and turning us into communists.
1: Absolutely. So uh, any good scoop on the Union front?
5: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, there's still a lot going on, and uh, and Kamala uh, is part of this, and you know, of course, so is Joe. But um, um, they're moving uh, their um, nominations for the National Labor Relations Board closer to control for the Democrats. And if they do that, they're going to pass the PRO Act, which basically has the, uh, the program in it that the union wanted me to sign, a neutrality agreement. And have us go to card check where people people don't have the right to a secret ballot election to decide if they want to be in the union or not. And that's just taking people's rights away. And, again, this just moves them closer to controlling this country.
1: Yeah, so let me understand. What, what you said is this PRO Act would basically allow union bosses to just start approaching your employees without your uh, giving consent.
5: That's right. And... Um, hmm. And they'd uh, be able to get them in and uh, let them vote uh, just by card check, which, you know, they just sign 50% plus, sign, plus one sign of card in your automatically union. And um, to do that, uh, the unions could intimidate them, you know, see them personally and just intimidate them and sign them. And all of a sudden, uh, your people are all union people, and uh, they really don't, it's, it, it's not their decision. It's being forced upon
1: them. Uh, and, you uh as a, in the context of this is, if you read Dave's book, you'll understand what they are willing to do in order to get their way. In other words, uh, it, when Dave says intimidate, it's not some sort of innocuous approach. Hey, I wonder if you'd like to join the union. It's not like that. They, <laughs> they do whatever they can. They, they, uh, whether this person can benefit from the union or whatever, they don't care. That's just they got to get them signed up. And what's the bene- What is the benefit to the union bosses? Income. They want those union dues because they use that union dues for influence in, in the government and for uh, power. That's what uh, that's what that's all about. In fact, well,
5: that's right. That's exactly right, Bob. And uh, you know, the other thing with the unions is the teacher unions. They've gone woke. You know, yeah. they're in that woke uh, society, and um, you know, they're pushing everything um, that they control and, and uh, what's being taught in the classes. You know, like. Critical race theory and stuff like that, and um, um, they are—they're are the, just pushing so hard because they want to indoctrinate our kids, and, and that's already been going on for the last twenty or thirty years anyway. Right. As the unions have uh, controlled the, the educational programs, now it's even worse, and this is another push towards unionizing everybody.
1: Well, in fact, the uh, NEA, the National Education Association, the uh, leader, and I've forgotten her name now, but she said that, uh, you know, they support teaching the uh, critical race theory of the 1619 Project. They're for that. And uh, she walked it back a little bit because she got so much pushback from that. But uh, can you imagine that uh, the teachers union, the teachers union supports uh, teaching that crap to our kids?
5: Well, it's because the teachers are controlled also, and you know, and they're trying to get right to work uh, across the country. The unions are uh, thrown out so that they can uh, make every one of them unionized, and they can control them all. And uh, you know, that's that's what it's all about, Bob.
1: Well, the answer to all this is school choice. Uh, my cutting to the chase, and uh, this is uh, absurd because it will never happen. But uh, I, if it were me, I would suggest go to the school board or get on the school board and uh, suggest that we turn all of our public schools into charter schools. And instead of having a school board, have uh, uh, a board of directors for each school and let the board determine the mission and how the school will be run, if it's going to be classical education, whatever it might be. And uh, just uh, <clears throat> if they're going to unionize the teachers, they would have to do it school by school.
5: Well, that's right. And that's what the way it needs to be. But the bomb is across the country, all of our federal employees, or not all, but probably 95% are union employees. And uh, of course, that affects teaching and post office people and uh, just, you know, everything. Uh, people that are working um, for the federal government and for local governments too. And, um, you know, we got to get people back to where they can make their own decisions and they aren't being controlled.
1: That's exactly right. So uh, the prospects are not good for the uh, uh, National Labor Relations Board and what they want to do. They want to make it more uh, easier for the union bosses in order to sign up people. I, I understand also they would like to uh, uh, try and sign up uh, home health workers and even people that are taking care of yeah. their their parents to have their Absolutely.
5: and Absolutely, and they were trying to do that. <clears throat> you know, for the past seven or eight years, but now they feel like they can get it done because uh, they're going to have people in the White House and federal government that can uh, uh, get the right people in there and get it voted in.
1: Well, back to your point about uh, Harris and Higginbotham. Is it General Higginbotham, did you say? I mean, he he is... uh, I did not know some of the things that you told us about uh, her being a communist. I didn't know that she was uh, that far left, but... uh, I should have known. <laughs> it's pretty obvious now that you think about it.
5: Yeah, it's sad, and uh, you know the left—they uh, they're bringing everybody in to to bring us down. You know, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, and I don't know if you saw over the weekend, but the Black Lives Matter Utah chapter called the American flag a symbol of hatred. Yeah, and uh, they're just trying to do that to destroy this country.
1: Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Check out thedevilatourdoorstep.com is the website. Get a copy of the book on my website, bobharden.com, at a nice discount. Or, of course, any book purveyor will have have a copy of the book. Again, The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a great read. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. And I hope your listeners pass on what we're talking about and the American people stand up.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I've got uh, great guests on Monday. We'll visit with Mark Shulman. As we always do on Monday, we'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Bell, the endowed... uh, He is a uh, president emeritus. I'm sorry, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. And we'll visit with... uh, uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Beer Chief, will be with us as well. always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.